You're listening to How to Win with Mike Moore, the podcast that provides you with practical insights on how to win in every arena of life. Hello, I'm Mike Moore, and welcome to another episode of the How to Win podcast. These podcasts are based off 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, now thanks be unto God who always causes us, that's you and I, causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. I want to welcome all of you that are with us today and all that will listen to this podcast. I'm so excited about what we're going to be sharing today. I want you to tag a friend, let them know that we are alive. And also, I want you to share this Uh, podcast lesson with others. And listen, I got my iPad here. Uh, The beauty of this podcast is that you can send me questions live. You can send me questions at the end of the podcast. Then I'm going to answer your uh, your questions. You can also get the audio on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast, but it's going to be exciting. Now, listen, this is something that I decided and, and uh, a few sessions ago, I am uh, preparing this Sunday to share, my son and I are preparing to share a, a series entitled Not From Around Here. It's a powerful foundational series that I think is going to uh, take our church and I believe those who listen to us to a whole nother level. I prepared that that lesson and then at the end of the prep time I realized that I needed to give what I was calling the John John the Baptist series to introduce that series. Well, that series is entitled Understanding the Power of Your Purpose and Potential. And so once I I began to share that, I thought about why not go back over what we're sharing on Sundays in my podcast right now, because it will give you the opportunity to be able to ask us questions and fill in the gap. So that's what I'm doing now. I changed my little strategy where we're sharing on Sundays. I'm coming back on my podcast on Tuesdays, and then I'm going back over what we taught, and then you can ask questions, you can fill in the gap. So this past Sunday, we talked about, we we concluded that mini-series on understanding the power of your purpose and your potential. Lesson one had to do with purpose. Lesson two had to do with potential. Lesson three, we talked about uh, self-consciousness. I was sharing in Columbus. We have a campus in Columbus, Georgia, and I was sharing in Columbus. My son was sharing here in Birmingham. And so I want to go back over some of the things that we shared. And then I want you to ask any questions or give any comments about the lesson. We're talking about self-consciousness. And self-consciousness is the roadblock to us fulfilling our purpose and releasing our potential. And at some point in your life, you're going to have to deal with self-consciousness. So right away, let's define our terms. Let's get on the same page. What do you mean, uh, Mike, when you say self-consciousness? Self-consciousness 
Number one is preoccupation with ourselves. It is a negative preoccupation. It is a preoccupation that creates unpleasant feelings about ourselves, preoccupation about us, ourselves, our past experiences, our past failures, preoccupation with our mistakes, our weaknesses, our limitations, and it's also preoccupation with what others think of us. Secondly, what is self-consciousness? Self-consciousness is fixation on our challenges rather than on our opportunities. Now, that, that's the basic definition that we're using as it relates to self-consciousness, and it is a roadblock. So now for just briefly, let's talk about the origin of self-consciousness. Now, I'm going to teach the lesson again, and then I'm going to answer any questions. I'm going to communicate any comments. You can begin to send them in right now. So when we talk about the origin of self-consciousness, we have to go back to the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis. And we see, and we're going to specifically look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 through 7 in the New Living Translation. But in Genesis 2, God gave Adam a mandate and some boundary lines. He said, of every tree you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he said, don't eat from that tree. The day you eat from that tree, you will surely die. When we fast forward to the third chapter, we see that both Adam and Eve disobeyed the mandate and they took from, they ate from the forbidden tree. Now, I'm going to read the text from the New Living Translation. In Genesis 3, verse 6 through 7, it says, So she took some of the fruit, referring to Eve, she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her. He was right there listening to the conversation right there. He was with her and he ate it too. The text says at that moment, in other words, after they ate, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Now, there's some inter interesting observations that we have here. The Bible says that after they ate, their eyes were open and they felt shame because they realized that they were naked. So we have here the introduction for the first time, the origin of self-consciousness. And we notice that self-consciousness manifested itself in guilt, in shame, in lack, there's something that we don't have, something that we're missing, and a sense of inadequacy. Since self-consciousness entered the picture, now they are looking inward and they realize that they lack something. So they began to sow fig leaves to cover their nakedness. I want you to notice something else 
in the text. And even though we didn't read the eighth verse, we see that self-consciousness causes us to run away from God. The eighth verse says that they heard uh, the voice of God in the, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the Bible says that Adam and Eve hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees. Now notice they are running away from God. They had never done this before. They running away from God. Now this presents a great problem. Whenever we run away from God, I call this self-sabotage behavior. There's no way that they're going to experience fulfillment in their lives running away from God because God is the originator of and the designer of our purpose, but he's also the source of our fulfillment. So if we are running away from God, and that's what self-consciousness does, it causes you to run away from God, there's no way that you're going to experience uh fulfillment in life. Now, I noticed something that I want to bring to your attention. You may be aware of this, but it's very interesting. They were already naked before they ate the fruit. They were already naked. You say, how do you know they were already naked? Well, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, Verses 22 through 23, it says that God made the woman from Adam's rib, took a rib from Adam, made the woman, and then God escorted Eve to Adam, brought Eve to Adam. Adam saw her, and Adam said, you're now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. You shall be called woman. And then, now I want to ask you a question. Now, when God brought Eve to Adam, was she wearing a bathrobe? Was she wearing a nightgown? Was she wearing a dress? No, she was naked. Because the Bible says in Genesis 2.25, it says the man and his wife were both naked, both naked, and they were not ashamed. They were both naked, Genesis 2.25, but they were not ashamed. But when we look at Genesis 3.7, it says they saw that they were naked and they were ashamed. And so I saw something. I had to go back and meditate on the text. So I went back to the authorized King James Version, the uh, traditional King James, and it says that they, their eyes were open and they knew they were naked. So I looked up the word uh, knew and I looked up the word naked and the word knew meant that they observed that they were naked. And I knew it couldn't have meant that because they already knew they were naked. And the word uh, knew also means to become aware that they were naked. And I knew it couldn't mean that because they they were much aware of the fact that they were naked. But the word knew means to consider. It means to regard. It means to take into account. For the first time, 
they began to consider regard, taking account that they were naked. And then I looked up the word nakedness and the word nakedness means more than just to be without clothes. The word naked means to be utterly lacking. It means to be destituted. And then I had an aha moment. I realized what the fall was. The fall of man was really a change of focus. It was a change of focus. It was a shift from God consciousness to self-consciousness. It was a shift. We don't know how long they had lived in that garden, but their entire existence before the fall, they were God conscious. They were conscious of God's presence. They were conscious of God's voice. They were conscious of God's goodness. They were conscious of God's great knowledge, his wisdom, his understanding. They were conscious, conscious of God's ability and God's power. That's why, now listen carefully, that's why when God brought the animals in Genesis chapter 2 and said, Adam, I want you to name the animals and all the fowls of the earth. Adam immediately responds. He names the animals. There was no consciousness of the fact that he could not do that. He didn't respond, God, I haven't taken a zoology class. I don't know all these animals. I can't name them. No. Adam was God conscious. If God says name the animals, he knew he could do it he, because he was focused on God. When uh, God brought Eve to Adam and Adam saw Eve for the first time, Adam then said, oh, God, she's not my type. Oh, God, she, she's too tall. She's too short. She's too thin. She's too heavy. No, Adam received because they were God conscious. He was God conscious. He knew that God only brought good things. He only brought something that was going to bless him. But for this moment, after they ate from the fruit, they went from a consciousness of God to self-consciousness. Now, I want you to listen at the impact of self-consciousness. Self-consciousness always leads to feelings of, I don't know enough, I don't have enough, I'm not good enough. Now notice self-consciousness turns us inward. And when our focus is inward, even though God gives us an assignment, we're gonna feel, I don't know enough. Well, I don't have enough. I'm not good enough. And that's what happened to me when I uh, received the call to, to, to ministry, to be a minister, and received the call to be a pastor. My first thoughts was, well, I, I don't know enough to tell other people. I, I don't know enough. I, I, you know, I haven't gone to Bible school. I haven't gone to see my I'm not good enough. I, I don't live good enough to, to be leading people like that. And I was battling with self-consciousness. 
And to fulfill God's purpose in your life, you're going to have to be God conscious. Now, we see the same challenge in Jeremiah. Jeremiah was challenged with self-consciousness. So let's look at his call to purpose. Let's look at his response to God and the call. And then let's look at God's response to his response. So in Jeremiah chapter one, I see I got a question here. Thank you. Bring your questions in now because we want to fill the gap. In Jeremiah chapter one, verse five in the New Living Translation, here's what it says. It says, I knew you, God is speaking to Jeremiah, I knew you before, before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and I appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Now, I want you to see here that in verse five, God reveals to Jeremiah his purpose, his purpose. And his purpose, God's purpose for Jeremiah was that he be a prophet to the nations. Now, God is revealing his purpose. And that purpose was established before Jeremiah was born, before he was conceived, before he came out of his mother's womb. And guess what? Your purpose the assignment that God has placed on your life was established in eternity past. Before you were born, born, before you even met Jesus, God established, created, designed a purpose for your life. Now, Jeremiah's purpose was a prophet to the nations. My purpose, a part of my purpose is to also be a prophet and to be a pastor and to be a teacher. But your purpose may not be in what we call the church world. Your purpose may be in business. Your purpose may be in education. Your purpose may be in the family. Maybe God wants you to minister to singles or wants you to minister to couples or he wants you to minister to children. Your purpose may be in family. Your purpose may be in the military. Your purpose may be in medicine or the health field. Your purpose may be in the government or politics. It may be in the performing arts. God has ordained that you be a dancer. It may be in sports or entertainment or the legal field or media or journalism, whatever. But your purpose was established before you were born. So purpose now is not a product of the human will and purpose and ambition is not the same thing. You see, God's purpose for my life was that he wanted me to be in ministry. My ambition is that I wanted to be an attorney. So ambition and purpose does not necessarily mean the same thing. But not only in verse 5, Jeremiah 1.5, did God reveal Jeremiah's purpose, but he also revealed his potential because we've learned in the last two sessions that potential is predetermined by purpose, your God-given assignment reveals your capabilities because God never gives us an assignment 
without equipping us to carry out or achieve that assignment. So we see what God is saying. And now let's see Jeremiah's response. Is he going to be God conscious or is he going to be self-conscious? In Jeremiah chapter one, verse six through seven. Now you can send in your your questions and I'm moving kind of fast through this because I want to answer any questions, communicate any comments. So let's look at Jeremiah one, six, the New Living Translation. Jeremiah gives his response, and here's his response. O sovereign Lord, I said, I can't speak for you. I am too young. That's the New Living Translation, Jeremiah 1.6. He says that I am too young. The traditional King James says, I am a child. So we see here. God says one thing in Jeremiah 5, this is my purpose for you. And then Jeremiah looks inward and he says, I can't do it. I can't speak for you. I'm too young. So we see that self-consciousness not only manifests itself in guilt and shame and and, um, uh, lack and inadequacy, but it also manifests itself in excuses excuses. And Jeremiah gave God an age-related excuse. I am too young. So let's talk about excuses. Sometimes our excuses are age-related. And you know, we have children in our children's services. We have students, teenagers in our student ministry. And so the question is, does God wait until we are adults to reveal our purpose? Listen at this very carefully. Joseph was 17 years old when God began to manifest his purpose. He began to give him visions and dreams. He was 17 years old. David was no older than 14 or 15 when he fought the giant. God was moving in his life as a teenager. Daniel, Meshach, and Abednego, the Hebrew boys, they were teenagers. They were young, probably anywhere between 12 and 17, because once they were captured and brought to Babylon, they enter into a training program. And that training program, they were young noblemen captured. And Nebuchadnezzar put them in a training program that probably ended around 17 years of age. So Daniel was a teenager when he, when the Bible says he purposed in his heart that he would not eat from the king's table. When the Bible says that God gave them knowledge, skill, learning, and wisdom, that though they were teenagers, they were not adults. They were teenagers. Josiah, 
who was anointed king. He was eight years old when he was anointed king, eight years old. And the Bible says that he did what was pleasing in the eyesight of the Lord. And he was eight years old. I remember when I think about my own life, I was a little kid, not going to church. My parents were not saved at the time. And I was playing out in the yard in front of a church. A lady came from that church who taught Sunday school. Her name was Hattie B. We call her Miss Hattie B. She came across the street, talked to me, went in the house and asked my parents, could she begin to break? Could she bring me to Sunday school? She thought that kid needs to be in school. So she, my parents gave the okay. She began to come across the street, get me, take me to Sunday school and began to teach me Bible lessons and stories. My first mentor, my first teacher, my Sunday school teacher, Miss Hattie B. God also brought a, a, a mentor my Aunt Jane, she was a, a, a God aunt and she had took Bible lessons and she would take my God brother and me and teach us the Bible. We had to memorize the books of the Bible. We had to know which was the minor prophets, which was the major prophets. And she just walked and we had to quote all scriptures and all that. God was working in my life even as a child around 11 or 12. My Sunday school teacher, another Sunday school teacher, told me to teach her class. I was answering so many questions. So even as a kid, the Spirit of God was dealing with me. So age is not a factor. That's why parents, you need to begin to minister and teach them Bible lessons and teach Bible with your kids because God has a purpose and a plan for your life. Now, I know some of you, it's not an issue of uh, being too young. You think you're too old. Oh, I wish I had heard this when I was younger you're saying. But Sarah was 65 and her husband, uh, Abraham, was 75 when they began to move out in God's purpose. Moses was 80. Caleb was 85. So the issue is, what is your excuse for following God's purpose. Somebody would say, well, I'm single. If I had a mate, I could follow God's purpose. But Esther was single. Ruth was single, married and single again. Uh, Paul was single. Jesus was single. Somebody said, well, you know, if, if, if you know, I, I'm married and I could follow God's purpose, but my spouse is hindering me. Listen, Self-consciousness creates excuses. God established your purpose before you were born. He looked down through history. He saw everything, every position, every situation you would be in. He saw the past, the present, and the future all at the same time. He knew all the things. And then in eternity past, he ordained a purpose for your life. So you've got to get rid of the excuses. So now we've seen God's purpose revealed in Jeremiah 1.5. We see Jeremiah's response in Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 6. Now let's look at what God said to in response to Jeremiah's excuse. Jeremiah 1.7 through 8. 
the New Living Translation. Here's God's response. God replied, don't say I'm too young for you must go. Now listen to God. Don't say I am too young. You must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you and don't be afraid of the people. And one translation said, don't be afraid of their faces. God says, I will be with you. I will protect you. I, the Lord, have spoken. Now, I want you to listen at what God said. He first dealt with his self-consciousness, and then he knew he had to shift his focus from self-consciousness to God-consciousness. So he said, don't say I'm too young. That's that's that self. He's dealing with the self-conscious. Don't say I'm too young for you must go wherever I send you and say what I tell you. And don't be afraid of the people. Don't be afraid of their responses. Don't be afraid of their faces. And then he he's shifting his focus to him, to God conscious. He said, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to protect you, and I'm the one that has spoken this word to you. Now, you're never going to fulfill God's purpose for your life until you shift your focus from yourself, your inadequacy, what you don't know, what you don't have, what you can't do, to God. In God's response, we see Three, a threefold response. Number one, he said to Jeremiah, you are who I say you are and you can do what I say you can do. I see I have another question. Keep sending your questions in. Thank you. I'm going to answer them in just a moment. So what God said to Jeremiah, he's saying the same thing to you. He's saying you are are who I say you are, and you can do what I say you can do. The second thing that he said to Jeremiah, that he's saying to you, do not say about yourself what I do not say about you. Now, that's powerful. God is saying now, don't say about yourself what I don't say about you. You know, a lot of people walking around, and we all do it at some time. We say we're so weak, and we we say, you know, I just I, I I'm not what where I need to be, and. You know, I see God can use somebody else, but I got some work I got to do before I can get into that. God said, don't say about yourself what he doesn't say about you. And a lot of things we're saying about us, I don't know enough, and I'm not good enough, and I don't have enough, and, and I got this... God is not saying that to you. So he's saying, don't say about yourself what he's not saying about you. And then thirdly, he said, don't be afraid because I've equipped you and will be with you. And that's what God is saying. He said, now, don't be afraid. I have 
equip you and I will be with you. Now, the key that I want to I want to kind of conclude this before I get to the questions is the key to overcoming self-consciousness for every Christian is to focus on Christ to focus on Christ that's that's going to be the key now I want you to listen to me listen to me I see I have another uh, question coming in. Come on, keep bringing your questions in, and I'm going to answer your questions in just a moment. Now, I want you to listen to me as I begin to wrap this up. I want you to listen to me. If the fall of man was the shifting of focus from God to self, And that's really what it was about. If the fall of man, talking about Adam now, if the fall of man was really about a shifting of focus from God consciousness to self-consciousness, I don't know enough, I don't have enough, I'm not good enough, then redemption, that's in redemption, then there must be a shift, a reshifting from self-consciousness to God's consciousness. Now I'm gonna say that, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that again. I want you to listen to me. And then I'm gonna give you four things you have to consider. Listen carefully. If the fall was about a shifting of focus from God consciousness to self-consciousness. Then in redemption, under this new covenant, for you and I, Christians, there must be a reshifting from self-consciousness to God-consciousness. And there are four things that you must consider as you focus on Christ. Not you, not what you can't do, what you don't have, what you do. You don't know this, you don't know that. No, 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 listen at this. Number one, you must consider yourself dead to, to self. You must consider that you are dead to self. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, in the New Living Translation, it Paul said, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now, you, under this new covenant, you're a Christian, you're born again now, you must consider that you you're set. You're dead to self. You're dead to self. Now, practically, what does that mean to be dead to self? Practically, that means death to self means that you no longer consider. You no longer consider our own opinions, our own feelings about ourselves. You no longer consider others' opinions and feelings about us. Now, you're dead to self. Under this covenant, Paul says, I'm I'm crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. Dead to self means you no longer consider 
your opinion of yourself. You no longer consider your feelings of yourself. In other words, your opinion is irrelevant. Your feelings about you, I don't feel that I can do it. I don't feel that I'm ready. I don't, no, no, you're dead to that. And you're also dead. You no longer consider others' feelings about you, others' opinion about you. That's number one. You must consider yourself dead to self. Number two, you must consider your identification with Christ. God does not see you over here and Christ over here. God sees you in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 said, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. So God sees the believer in Christ. So when Jesus went to the cross, God saw you going to the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, God saw you dying on the cross. When Jesus went to hell, God saw you going to hell. When Jesus was raised from the dead, God saw you raised from the dead. When you were, when Jesus ascended and sat at the right hand of the Father, and that's where he is right now, God sees you sitting in Christ in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father. The uh, New Living Translation of 1 Corinthians Five, pardon me, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. You are a new person. You're a new person. The old life is gone. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. Now, listen, the old life was self-focused. Now that you're in Christ, the new life is Christ-focused, God-focused. The third thing you must consider, you must consider, I got, I got four questions. Thank you. Keep sending your questions. I got four questions here right now. You can send your comments right now. The third thing you must consider, you must consider the reality that God himself is on the inside of you helping you to do his will. You must consider that God himself is on the inside of you, on the inside of you, helping you to do his will. Philippians 2.13 in the New Living Translation says, for God is working in you. God is working in you. He's not working out here somewhere. He's working in you. Watch this now. Giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. He's in you, giving you desire. He's creating your desire and giving you the ability to do what he pleases him. Now, I remember, and I said this, I was ministering in Columbus, and I shared this quick testimony. I remember when I first got called into ministry. Ooh, I mean, I mean, ooh. If you had seen what I was experiencing on the inside of me, you ever heard of the phrase knees knocking? When I first started preaching, my I would sit there because normally they had the preacher sitting on the platform and I would be sitting there and my knees and my legs would literally be shaking. That's the truth. I mean, just shaking. And I was hoping nobody could see me shaking like that. 
I was so nervous and my mouth would get dry and my thoughts would be racing and stuff. And, I, you know, I, I just, oh, I was just messed up. I learned something, though. You know, this may sound funny to you, but I learned that you have to fake it till you can make it. So earlier I learned that when I went to the podium, I couldn't be talking about I'm nervous because that would draw all the attention to me about that, and that would not help me. So I would just not say anything about how I felt. Because if I did, it would miss, every, everybody's attention would be drawn to that, and I would be all messed up about it. But the interesting thing about it now is that when I began to speak, the, and I didn't know it at this time, I didn't have a real a strong or intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. The moment I began to talk, I don't know, it's like when you when we play basketball, you, you have those butterflies, but when the ball is thrown up and you run down the court a few times, all that nervousness leaves. That's the way it was for me in ministry. I, I, I began off kind of nervous, but then the spirit of God would kick in and, and then, man, I could just flow. Well, now I've been ministering for years I don't deal with a lot of that, that nervousness and all that anxiety and all that uh, because I know that the Holy Spirit is on the inside of me. Now, you're looking at me now as I teach this lesson. And if you're, if you're looking at me, some of you may be listening to me, but if you're looking at me, you see me. But I'm not by myself. I'm not teaching you by myself. Yes, I have notes. I look at my notes. But I'm looking at you, but I got a partner on the inside of me. I'm listening to him, and he gives me directions. He gives me illustrations. He brings scriptures to my mind. He helps the thoughts to come together. He, he brings people to hear the word, and then he uh, grabs their attention, and then he anoints the word, and, and then he fits the message in such a way where everybody sitting listening feel that you're talking just to them. Well, that's not me. That's the Spirit of God, and I know that now. I know that I'm not alone. I know that I don't have to get anybody saved. I don't have to heal anybody. I don't have to deliver anybody. My assignment is to communicate. His assignment is, is to do the work. Now, he's at work in you. It's not about you. If you're struggling with nervousness and struggling uh, communicating, it's because you're self-conscious. You're conscious. You think you have to do it. You have to make the people hear. You have to do this. They listening to you. You're not sure you can. That's self-consciousness. The Holy Spirit is on the inside of you. He creates the desire he gives me messages. He gives me insight. And then I just share it. And then he does the work. So if you become more God conscious, then you'll struggle less with, with nerves. Now, I don't know how my wife does it. But my wife, Pete, her nickname is Pete. I, I She's bold. She, she doesn't deal with what the people going to think and all that, she, you know. If I had a hat what my wife had in the beginning, shoot, I'd go and buy my business because she talked to you and, and, you know, you can think what you want to think. She just do her thing and she threw with it. 
You know, and really, that's the mindset that we should have. God is on the inside of us. We can't make it happen. You have to consider that God is in you. Then finally, you have to consider that your faith in God is more powerful, more powerful than any evil or any situation you're going to face in life. First John 5, 4 said, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And here's faith. I got a, a comment here. Here's faith. I'm about to wrap this up. Faith begins with hearing what God says, and then you believe what God says independent of what you're feeling, your circumstances, people's opinion. You believe it with your heart, and then you say what God says. So if God says you're a new creature, you say you're a new creature. You don't talk about your old life. You don't talk about that. You're a new person. If God says you're wise, then you say you're wise, because the Bible says Jesus made unto a wisdom. If God says you're righteous, then you don't talk about, you know, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You don't find that in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you were just old sinner saved by grace. It says that he was made sin for you so that you could be made righteous. So say what God say. He say you're righteous, you say you're righteous. If he say you're strong, be strong in the Lord, you say you're strong. If he say you free, don't talk about bondage. I'm bound to this, I'm bound to that. No, he says then being made free. That's Romans chapter six. If he say you're victorious, you say you're victorious. The Bible says Jesus has given us the victory. If he says you're winner, then you're a winner. That's our that's our background for this podcast. He has caused us to triumph. He always calls us up to triumph. You're a winner, so say you're a winner. Say you're a priest. Say you're a king. Stop saying what God didn't say and start saying what God said and then just act out on it the best of your ability and the Spirit of God will jump in and he'll help you. Amen. And that's a good lesson. That's a good word. Now, I'm going to answer these questions, but this coming Sunday, you don't want to miss it. Columbus and Birmingham, we're going to be sent. My son and I are going to be teaching the same lesson, same thing. We may use a different illustration here and there, but we're going to be teaching the same thing. We're going to begin a series called Not From Around Here. And I don't want you to miss. Don't you miss a single lesson of it. Not from you. You got to get this. You got to get this. This foundational. Now. I have uh, four questions and a comment. Now, here again, it's not too late for you to send them in now. I'm going to, but let's look at the questions. Here's the first questions. Most of my self-consciousness come afterward in the form of recriminations. How do you keep recriminations to a minimum and stop them from stealing your victory and courage? Now, now you got you got to define some of these words. Now, you can't be throwing these old big words on me. Now, I take it that you're saying when you say recriminations that you will do something, you know, and then you're challenging what you're doing. You're not sure whether you did good enough job, you're over-evaluating, and sometimes you're criticizing yourself. I think that's what you're meaning by recriminations. And if it's not, you still got time to give clarifications. But here's how do I keep recriminations to a minimum and stop them from stealing your victory and courage? Here's, uh, here's what I think. 
uh, I think that we 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 take the time, we take the time to get God's mind. And this general, generally speaking, we take the time to get God's mind. So if it's purpose, if it's his assignment, or if it's something he wants us to say, we take the time to get God's mind. Then we, we, we stay scriptural in what we're doing. We, we let the scripture guide us. We trust the spirit of God, and then we say it or do it. And then we don't spend a whole lot of time beating ourselves up because remember, it's God that has to furnish the power. It's God that has to confirm the word with signs. It's God has to help us. So it's not about just what you do. Because I've done that. I preached a lesson and then I got on myself and I'm all upset about I should have did this. I should have done that. I should have said this. I should have done. And later on, I find out the message really blessed people. I mean, it really blessed them. So I don't do a whole lot of what I think you're saying now about that. I, I you, you, The key is spending quality time in prayer. And, and I try to, every week, I try to spend quality time in prayer. And I'm trusting God to just do his thing. I do my part, he do his thing. So that's my best shot on that. Oh, recriminations and accusation in response to one, and to response to one from someone else. Oh, okay. Now, if, if you're talking about recriminations in terms of, how you're responding to your own uh, delivery, uh, your own obedience, then I think I've answered it. But if recriminations is an accusation or response by someone else to your assignment or to your purpose or whatever, then that's simple for me, it is. I'm not doing anything to please people. That's the key for me because the, the issue is we're serving him and we're helping people. Everybody's not going to receive your assignment. Everybody is not going to receive what you say, but that's all right. The scripture says, moreover, it is required in a steward that a man be found faithful. You're not being, you're not trying to find faithful, you're not trying to get a response from people. You're trying to please God. Your, your job is to please God. People, Jesus was right in the middle of his purpose in the earth, right in the middle of his purpose. And Jesus said, I only say what my father says. So he was doing what God wanted him to say. And yet they, they crucified him and they criticized him. And they, uh, so the issue is not what people, how they respond. Remember, you're dead to self. You're dead to self. In other words, you're dead to your opinion and you're dead to other folks' opinion. What matters to you is what is God's opinion, and that's going to help you with that. Uh, recriminations can also be in the form of negative self-talk. Well, see, here's the issue. When you get into negative self-talk, 
then you are not really, you are not really God conscious. Negative self-talk is, is rooted in, in self-consciousness. Negative self-talk, talking down yourself. I'm not good enough. I don't know enough. I don't have enough. That kind of negative talk is rooted in self-consciousness. Thank you for for. Uh, giving me those definitions. Questions. Are there step-by-steps to discovering your purpose? Okay. I I want you to go back and listen to the first lesson that we taught because I can't totally give you a whole recap of that first lesson. But in that first lesson on purpose, the key to fulfillment in life, we gave you some things, but here's 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 what I'll say about that. I don't know if there's step by steps, but I want to give you some keys. I think everything begins with the prayer of dedication and commitment. In other words, God, I commit my life to your purpose. I dedicate myself. That's what Jesus was doing. He said, not my will, but your will be done. God, I don't want my will. I want your will to be done in my life. I want you to clarify it for me. Now, part of that clarification will be be your commitment to the word, your own quiet time, personal devotion, commitment to listening to your pastor and what he's trying to share with you. Uh, a commitment to obey what you hear in your quiet time and what you hear from your leadership, a a commitment to obey the word. It begins there. I commit my life and I'm going to commit myself to your word, a commitment to prayer, spending quality time every week. It it doesn't have to be hours and hours, but every week you're going to spend quality time in God's presence, just you and God. You're going to be in his presence. And then you do what good Christians should do. And that's how I walked in my purpose. Good Christians should study. They should pray. They should share their faith. They should connect to their local church. They should get involved with the vision of their Lord. And as you commit to what good Christians should do, God will just walk you straight into your purpose. It's not something that you got to just do nothing and just pray and fast. No, no, no. That's not how it works. Every person that God called Jesus called to discipleship was doing something. They weren't sitting around under the tree praying for their purpose. They were engaged. They were they were moving. And you've heard this. God can move, can direct a moving vehicle. If you're if you're in park and you're doing absolutely nothing, God can't direct you. And I think that if if you'll listen to what we've been teaching. And follow what we're saying, you're going to walk right into purpose. It's not a hard thing. It's not something that you got to be nervous and worried about. God is more concerned about you walking in purpose than you are. Uh, What if you fulfill the purpose and you're confused on what to do now? Um, um, You know, Let let me try to answer that in two different ways. What if you fulfill the purpose and you're confused on what to do next? 
You know, when when people, when that term is throwing me a little bit, fulfill the purpose. See, I think purpose is layered. I think purpose is a lifetime thing. Um, When you said fulfill the purpose, I think you can fulfill a season. I don't think you fulfill the purpose. I think you may fulfill a season. And your question may be, what do I do next? Well, here's the way I look at that. If, if I'm walking in what I know God wants me to do and I'm spending quality time praying to, and I'm seeking his face and I'm, I'm busy, I'm involved in ministry, I'm not going to do nothing else until I, he revealed it to me. I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to see, see if, if a person said I fulfilled it and I don't know what to do next, I, I question whether you fulfilled it. See, I, 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 because, see, think about it. It's not you coming up with stuff. It's not you coming up with stuff. I'm like this. If God tells me uh, to teach some, I'm going to teach it until I sense I'm to go in another direction. I go in another direction. You know, I've been pastoring Faith Chapel for 40 years. I mean, 40 years, okay? And I know that there are other things that I'm supposed to do. I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. But I'm not trying to create some out here. I'm not, you know, I'm going to stay with this until the shift. When the shift come, I'll know where to shift. I'll know where to go. I'll know what to do. If you don't know what to do next, do what you're doing. If you don't know what to do next, keep doing what you're doing. Because it's God's, and, and see, I don't try to make up stuff. I don't try to make it up. You know, I'm going to make it up. I don't know what to do, so I'm going to make up something. You say you feel the purpose. I will stay right there with whatever you've been doing. Whatever you've been doing, I wouldn't say it's fulfilled. I wouldn't say it. I wouldn't say that season over until he showed you something else. And if he hasn't showed you something else, then as far as I can see, the season is not over. Just my opinion. What if you fulfill? Okay, uh, question coming. Pastor, when it speaks about an elder, it isn't talking about age. Is it talking about the one who has accepted his work and God and doing it? Well, in scripture, an elder was usually a mature saint. It was a elder can be synonymous for spiritual maturity. It can be synonymous for leadership. It can be synonymous for fivefold ministry, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. So that that that's a broad word, elder. It can be fivefold ministry. Uh, first John, first Peter five talks about the elders, and that would include apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. But then there there can be what we call lay elders who may not be an apostle or what. They just strong leaders. A strong leader, mature Christian, can can be an elder. Uh, so it, it it's it's a broad term, and it it doesn't necessarily. You're right. It doesn't necessarily refer to age. Because you can be an older age saint and not be an elder. Um, 
comment, it's been, it, I've been so self-conscious, but it ends today. Praise the Lord. I'm happy about that. It ends today. Now, I want you to understand something, and I want to reiterate this as in my next couple of minutes before I close. This, what we're teaching, especially what we're teaching at Faith Chapel, and I'm trying to go through this thing because I believe God wants others who may not be members of Faith Chapel to, to walk along with us. It's almost a trilogy. These three lessons, purpose, potential, self-consciousness, were found, they were introductory. Sunday, we're going to begin to talk about not from around here, and it's going to be going from the introduction to the foundation. And then when we go finish that, and that'll be about five lessons, then we'll go, we'll start building the superstructure. I trust that this has been a blessing for you. Uh, I love you. Go back and listen to it. Share it with somebody else. And I appreciate uh, the opportunity to share with you today.